Isaiah chapter 64. O thou that wouldest rend the heavens, thou wouldest come down that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we look not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee in thy ways, behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned in those is continuance, and we shall be saved. For we all are as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. There is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. I thought about that. One young man over here said when he got to heaven, he'd like to give Jesus a great big hug. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I think you probably have to get in line, son, because a lot of people are going to want to do that. Thou stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay and thou our potter. And we all are the work of thy hand. Be not wroth very sore, O Lord. Neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee. We are all thy people. Thy holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and our beautiful house where our fathers praised thee is burned up with fire and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Wilt thou refrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace and afflict us very sore? It seems like, Father, that some of those words in that great chapter are what we kind of feel like we're going through in America. I maybe in a real small sense, we Americans, we exaggerate everything. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us, not only as a church, but as a nation, somehow to rise from the embers of this ruin that has closed churches, some to never open again, that has turned churches into drive-in theaters or sit at home and drink coffee theaters. I pray, Lord, that you bring us back to the house of God. I pray you turn our affections not on the things of our own personal safety, 
but on the reaching of people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you bless this singular service tonight. Pray you'd help your servant. Give me words to say and take words from my lips that don't need to be said. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Now, what revival is not? I don't think it's merely an emotional experience. I think it is more than a renewed spiritual investment. I think revival is a bankruptcy of self, getting us to a place where God can move in our midst. It's not a mere renewal of vows, but a reconstruction of our lives. In Romans chapter 12 and verse number one, you hear the words echo, I beseech thee therefore, I beseech thee, God is praying, Paul is praying that we would be something that we haven't been. I think uh, from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 6, there's some indicative verses there that help us to get to a place where we can reckon ourselves dead. And you have to, I think, uh, verses, or chapters 7, 8, and 9, and 10, and 11, I think they are facilitative verses that help us to get to the 12th chapter. These things are imperative that we present our bodies a living sacrifice for service. To have an attitude of humble servitude of our God. Your pastor and I were talking about a beloved friend on the way to church, Oswald Chambers. And it seemed to me I've read everything he ever wrote as far as I know that's in, in, that's in literature, in books. But one of his great themes, and he used it in such graphic terms, he said, the millstones, that's the problems, the difficulties, the things that we go through, the millstones are for making bread. And the presses, talking about the great presses. The presses are for the making of wine. For God wants to make of us broken bread and poured out wine to help others, to feed others, to bring others into this household of faith. How wonderful it would be if somehow as a goal that every single member of Bible Baptist Church or Fellowship Baptist Church or Grace Baptist Church or whatever Baptist Church you want to name in this county, if every single believer would make it the goal of their life to reach at least one other person with the gospel in a year. Just in a year. Let alone a month. Or a week. But to be a witness 
to have a spiritual impact in someone's life that would bring them to some level of faith that is much more than they have tonight. I don't think it's just a restitution of money. I think a revival is giving God ownership of everything we have. I have a preacher friend in our community. He is not of our faith. He's a holiness man. He's a dear man. I love him. He's up in his 80s. And he talks, he calls me on the phone, and I just let him talk. I don't ever interject hardly anything. He's just such a precious, kind man that prays for me every day and prays for my family, prays for my children. He loves me. And uh, he, for the last year of Duncan Campbell's life, Duncan Campbell had a great revival in 1948, 49, and 50 on the Isle of Lewis, where tens of thousands of people came from around the world and were saved. Of course, after World War II, uh, there was a great move. There was a great uh, pulling away from the things of God. But that revival helped draw people back to God. And my friend, he traveled, he chauffeured, I guess would be a better word, Duncan Campbell across the United States and into Canada in the last year of Duncan Campbell's life. And he told me this about Campbell's testimony, and I had never heard this before. Campbell played the bagpipes at dances as a young man in Scotland. And one night he was walking home from a dance where he had played. He was a lost uh, young man in his late teens, early 20s. And he walked by the church where his parents attended church. And it was in the, late in the night. He heard voices. Kind of was curious. And the doors were open. And he went in, laid his bagpipes on the back row. And he heard a voice. It was his father's voice. And his father's voice was crying out to God for him. Duncan to be saved. He was calling his name. Not in public, but in a public prayer meeting. Other men were there. Just begging God to save his boy. He went home angry. He confronted his mother about what his father was doing. His mother said to him, and I quote, You go up in the barn loft and you tell God what you have told me. And something will happen to you. He did. And he was saved that night amongst the straw in a barn loft. He left his bagpipes and began preaching the word of God. God gave him that great Hebrides revival there, 48, 49, and 50. He stayed three years on that island and preached. And people came, as I said, from, the, from around the world. What kind of a soul winning tactic do you think that was? Go up in the barn, tell God your complaint, and something will happen to you. You know, we've got to get away from, you know, there's one, two, three, and this is the only way it can happen to you. There's not a person in this building that's saved that got saved exactly the same way. 
God can do anything. And the hearts of those who have been dealt with, who have been confronted by a spirit-filled child of God. Just a word. Just a testimony. I was preaching in Midland, Texas in March. At an old, they called it an old-timers conference. You had to be over 70 and had preached for at least 40 years. So I guess that makes me an old-timer. And I was at that thing. I've got to tell you this about it. I got up, I don't know, I, I preached two or three times in the thing. There was eight of us that were supposed to be there. One guy, his wife fell and twisted her fibula and uh, had a broken leg, and they couldn't even come. They were up in their 80s. So there was just seven of us old codgers there. And... Uh, I said to them, I said, you know, you really, you should have my dad here. He's 92 years old and uh, preached for 70 years plus. And I said, but he can't get here. He's just sitting at home and his lazy boy. When I got ready to leave, they handed me my check and they handed a check with my father's name on it in an envelope. And I said, what is this for? He said, oh, we just thought we'd send your dad a love offering. Now, I had to mail it to him, and I did, but before I mailed it, I looked. He got the same amount I did. He didn't even leave home, nor get out of his lazy boy. I called him, I, called him, I don't know, 10 days after I mailed it to him, and I said, did you get that check? And I told him, I said, my goodness, Dad, you never even left Lansing or got out of your lazy boy and made as much money as I did. He just laughed. He thought that's funny. <laughs> but that preacher, when I was there and I got some of the tracks and I sat there where your pastor is right now and I wanna, I'm going to call him tomorrow and get some more. He had an 18-year-old daughter and she was in love with a 19-year-old boy. And just a sweet couple, precious couple. They were either engaged or about to get engaged, and everybody was happy with the union. And they were riding a four-wheeler, not speeding, just riding a four-wheeler slow. And a huge tree that big around fell on those two young kids and killed them both. Five seconds slower, five seconds faster, and nothing would have happened. Killed them both. I got some of those tracks when I left there, and they've been very effective in witnessing to people. The story is just so, so moving. I'm going to tell you something. Five seconds one way or five seconds another way, and probably everybody in this room could go back down memory lane and find a time when we could have been checked out of here, too. And so could every sinner you confront. And that's why the tracks, I think, are so effective. I think revival is not just requesting forgiveness of sin, but it's a dying to self. I don't think the cross should be empty tonight. I think we should die daily. Galatians 5 and 24 says that they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the lust and the affection or the affections and the lusts. Isabella Kuhn 
who was a missionary in China. World War II broke out. Her husband had gone to some distant city on business. And when the war broke out, everybody was put under house arrest, could not go anywhere. From 1938 to 1945, her and her son were home alone. Home alone. Not knowing anything about where husband was, where dad was for all those years. She said this about that verse. I thought it was interesting. I read her book. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Affections are positive things. We have affection one for another. We have affection for good things. We have affection. We're, we're positively affected positively for things. But they too are to be crucified. And then she said the lusts, they are negative. They're negative things. And obviously, not only the positive things that keep us from doing what we ought to do and the negative things that keep us from being what we ought to be need to be crucified. I ask you this question tonight. Why, why don't you want to be a spiritual Christian? Why don't you want to live godly? Why don't you, be, why don't you want to be considered or called a holy man, a holy lady? A godly, that's a godly Christian right there. That's a fine, why, why not? Why, why, would you, why do you want to just play with the world and, you know, come to church and play church? And Why? It's an interesting question. Why don't you want to be a better Christian today than you were last year this time? Why don't you want to experience... And then there'd be the evidence of spiritual growth in your life. Why do we want to stay the same? Why do we want to compare ourselves with others? You know, I can go around, you know, I go to, I'm a member of a church. I could go around and pick the lousiest Christian where I'm a member. I'm better than he is. The first guy that I ever led to Jesus, he was a 16-year-old boy. 51 years ago, about right now, I led him to the Lord. He's still a faithful member at our home church. All of these years, he's a retired fireman. I talked to his sister. It was her birthday this week, the 19th, I think. No, the 29th was her birthday. And uh, said he's got Parkinson's. He's just a, just a, young, he's a young man to me, but he's... I guess he's over 65 years of age. Help us with the math, brother. You and I are in a real trouble with our math. I can tell you that right now. 51 and 16. That's 66. Am I right? Am I right? Why would I ask him? That's a young man to have something like that. Now, let me give you just a few thoughts. This is, I'm just plowing new ground. What is revival? according to our chapter. Sometimes, sometimes good things get in the way of the best of things. He said here in verse 1, render the heavens. Remove even the good things that the better things 
might shine through our lives. Clear our schedules this week. Apparently, it was, this meeting was a surprise. It wasn't on the calendar, whatever that means. It's been on my calendar for a long time. <laughs> Just make some arrangements. I'm not a long preacher. You know that. They sing longer than I preach. Come late if you don't like the music. Leave early if you don't like the preaching. I don't care. Just come. Heavenly things, good things, sometimes we allow them to get in the way of revival. Revival is a renewal of our awareness of God. It said here that thou wouldest come down. Psalms 41 and 1, most of us know it. The heart panteth after the water brooks. So part of, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. <laughs> I heard a preacher a long time ago talked on this. He said, we are going to look at the heart's pants. Then we're going to look at David's pants. And then we're going to look at your pants. <laughs> Then he said, we're going to look at God's pants. And I didn't even God even wore pants. I don't know what he wore. It's not that kind of pants. God, help us to be interested in what God is interested in. And that the mountains might be removed there in verses 1, 2, and 3. You know, God could melt the mountain that stands in the way of you being what you want to be and what you ought to be. For the cause of Christ. Sounds like a volcanic eruption there. The mountains flow down at thy presence. In verse number three. Have you ever seen a volcano? I've seen two of them in my life. I've stood at the yawning maw of a volcano in Hawaii a long, long time ago when I was a young man. Stood there and looked at that and that bubbling lava down there. I think about it every once in a while now, and how stupid was I to walk right up to the edge and look down. How dumb. I was probably in my 20s. That tells you how dumb people in their 20s can be. I didn't say are, because I know you people in your 20s now are just absolutely brilliant and never do anything dumb. Look right, yeah, right, somebody said. <laughs> you know, I think one of the biggest hurdles and maybe the greatest deterrent to revival is apathy. We're just, we're so tied up with our personal problems that we can't help others with their needs. We don't deny that the God of heaven exists. We just ignore him. We need a stirring and a changing. There in verse number four. Oh God, decide thee what he, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. If we just do what God has for us. We need a new beginning of obedience. A complete surrender to his lordship. 
and to walk humbly before God in service. You know the dumbest things that people say when they're about to do something stupid in regard to spiritual things. Well, I prayed about it. So what? I prayed about it, so it's okay. Or here's even a dumber thing they say, I have peace about it. Well, if it's not the will of God and it's not right, why, why do you have peace? What's wrong with you to have peace about it? And why would you assume that just because you prayed one time that God heard it and answered it? You might have said, boy, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm going to have to think about that a while. In 1935, Susie Parker was a girl from Kentucky. And she felt like she had been called to the country of China. Think about the date, 1935. And she asked her dad what he felt about it. And this is what he said. I have, there is nothing that I have that is too good for Jesus. Speaking about her. And saying, really, you're the best I have. But for Jesus, I'd give even you. Between 1938 and 1946, they heard nothing from her at all. Obviously, previous to that, they'd gotten letters. But nothing. Subsequently, and obviously, I guess would be the right term, she had lost her life in a Japanese internment camp. And at her memorial service, her father prayed and said this, Jesus, there is nothing that I ever had that was too good for you. A complete, a complete abandonment of our selfishness. And a cleansing, we need a cleansing of our sin. We need a rekindling of our love for him. You know, there in Revelation chapter 2, they didn't, they didn't lose their first love. They left their first love. A lot of difference. I don't have time to go there tonight. What is the answer to all of that? And I'm just about done. Repent. Just repent. And say to God like it's said in 2 Corinthians 12 and 14, I seek not yours, but you. I, I'm not interested. I want to, God said, I want you. I don't want what you have. I want you. God doesn't need anything we have. He wants you. Not just stirred up for a few days, but eternally and entirely changed. Look at verse 8, and I'll close. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We are the clay, and thou art potter. May God help us to come to the potter's house and present our clay to him to do with what he wants to do. Well, honey, would you like to go on a ride on my four-wheeler? Come on. 
Let's just take just you know an hour, just ride around. Nothing scary, just they were less than a hundred yards from home. And a huge tree that big around. There's a picture of it on the track, that big at least. Crushed those two kids. And how into eternity they went. The pastor told me this. He said, Tim. There's not a week go by that I don't take that gospel track and win somebody to Jesus Christ with that track. Not a week. Two kids go to heaven. God saves one a week for I don't know how many years now, three or four. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good investment of a life from God's perspective. And somehow it needs to become the way we look at things too. I close with this story. Every preacher and I talked about preachers that tell things that aren't true. And I said, well, I'm going to tell something that's not true tonight. It's an allegory, and I'm going to close the message with this. But it was a, it's just a story now, but it illustrates the truth that I'd like to leave at your heart's door tonight. There was an American couple, and they were going to celebrate their 25th wedding anniversary. And I'm going, to I'm going to say this. This is in parentheses. If there's any boy, young man in this room that has a woman that will stay with you, I've looked at you fellas, for 25 years, you better take her a little bit farther than Atlanta for your 25th wedding anniversary. And I know my secretary, she told me this the other day. I think it's their 20th or 25th. I mean, she told me that this week, this last week. She said, he always promised me at our 25th, I think it is their 25th, that he'd take me to Hawaii, but we can't go to Hawaii now. So they're going to Gatlinburg. Whip-de-doo. <laughs> but you better take them somewhere and spend some money on them too, bless God. That's from a guy that just spent some money on a girl that stayed with me 50 years last year. And don't tell me I didn't spend any money on her either. You know, it was a funny thing. I took her to a beautiful place. It cost a lot of money a night to stay there. And just gorgeous place. And so I went to pay for it. And uh, we had room two in this just fabulous place. And the lady said to me, well, that'll be one, two, three, paid for. I said, no, ma'am, I only had room two. I'm not playing, paying for one and three. I don't know who was there. She said, no, one, two, and three paid for. I said, what are you talking about? She said, your son's number one, number two, and number three. They paid for it. I don't even know how they found out where we were. <laughs> I said, those dirty rats. <laughs> exactly what I said. She looked at me like I was crazy. I bless those boys. But this couple, they went to England on their 25th wedding anniversary, and they both loved pottery, and so they went to one of the capitals of pottery making in England a town called Suffolk, where they made beautiful Suffolk. China. 
So they were in that shop and looking for something to buy, and simultaneously their eyes settled on a teacup way up on a top shelf. They said almost in unison, can we see that? They said, I've never, we, the proprietor pulled it down. They said, the lady, I have never seen anything so beautiful. And the proprietor kind of smiled as he handed it to her and said, be careful. And then here's the part that's not true. The teacup spoke. It said, I haven't always been this way. I once was a piece of red, miry clay. And I was, I was plucked up by my uh, comfortable surroundings a long time ago from my companions. And this master began to mold me and pat me and pull me and gouge me. And I cried out in my frustration, stop it and leave me alone. And his tender reply was not yet. got me in whatever shape it was, and he put me on a wheel. He put his hands on me, and the wheel began to spin round and around and around, and I screamed, let me off of here. I'm so dizzy. And he said, not yet. The wheel slowly settled, and he picked me up, and he put me in an oven. And I could see just through a little crack in the oven. And I screamed, let me out, because I could not stand it. And I could read his lips through that little slit. Finally out. Oh, man, that's, that's terrible. And he began to take a brush and put some toxic-smelling stuff on me and the fumes gab, gagged me. I said, hold it, hold it. I, I don't want to stop it. And he said, not yet. Then he put me back in the oven. It was twice as hot. And I thought I was a goner for sure. And I begged and pled. It seemed like an un, unhearing ears. And I gave up and said, I'm just not going to survive. I'm going to die. And the door opened. And he put me on a shelf cool off. Boy, I was upset with him, the audacity. And then he handed me a mirror. And he said, look at yourself. I screamed, that's not me. That couldn't be me. I'm beautiful now. And the master said, don't ever forget. If I, when I picked you up out of that miry clay, you really didn't want me to. And when I daubed and patted, you wanted me to stop. But if I'd have stopped, you'd have had no shape. And when I was on that wheel, when you were on that wheel, if I'd have stopped, you'd have had no symmetry. And if I'd have taken you out of the fire, there'd been no temper. And if I had not painted you and you'd have smelled those fumes, there'd have been no color. And if I hadn't put you back in the oven, the fiery trial. Again, you'd have never held up. But you are now the finished product that I had in mind when I reached 
way down for you. Quit fighting. Quit resisting. Quit saying, I I don't want to be different. Let God do in your life in these days that we're together what God wants to do in your life. There could be people saved this week, and I hope there will be. There could be young men called to preach. There could be some young ladies that surrender. I'm going to go to the mission field and like my little sister who's in heaven now, I'm not even going to date a boy that hasn't been called to the mission field. I want to do what God wanted me to do. I want to be what God wanted me to be when he saved me and what he put in my heart. You know, it's a lot better, young lady, to not have, not have what you wanted than to have what you wished you didn't have. Let some boy take you out of the will of God. Conversely, young men, let some girl take you out of the will of God. Let some job keep you from the will of God. Some career aspirations keep you from the will of God. Probably one of the best things as a kid not to have any aspirations. Just be like that clay in the ground and wait for God to come by and pick you up and mold you and make you into what he wants you to be.